Greetings, brethren, and welcome to the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost is a memorial of great events in the past that revealed God's power. But Pentecost is also a memorial of exciting events in the future for a very special group of people, a very fortunate group of people. And we're going to be talking about that today in the sermon. But Pentecost is another one of God's commanded holy days. Those holy days picture the plan of God, God's plan of salvation that he's been working out down through time and he's going to continue to work out in the future. His plan of salvation for mankind and actually his plan of salvation for the entire world over a period of time. The festivals of God are recorded in order in Leviticus 23 where they're called holy convocations. In fact, if you could turn to Leviticus 23, we can read some of those. Leviticus 23, chapter uh, chapter 23, verse 1. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying to them, These are the feasts of the Lord. He didn't say the feasts of the Jews. He said, These are the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. A convocation is a commanded assembly. In other words, you need to be there. When I went to college, we had a convocation every morning, every Wednesday morning. A convocation every Wednesday morning. It was required attendance. We were allowed three chapel cuts. Uh, The convocation was held in the college chapel. We were allowed three cuts per semester. And if we missed more than three chapel cuts, meetings or three convocations, they began to lower our grades by a letter. So if you had an A and you had three chapel cuts, uh, you wound up with a B in your subjects. If you had a B, you wound up with a C. It It was a commanded assembly. It was a convocation. These holy days, these festivals in the Bible are called holy convocations. In other words, holy commanded assemblies because God wants us to be there. He wants us to be there. These were commanded forever. It's actually mentioned about four times in Leviticus 23 about being festivals that are commanded forever throughout your generations. They didn't stop. You know, Jesus kept these holy days. The apostles kept these holy days. The early church kept these holy days. And God's church is still keeping those holy days today because they are commanded assemblies. Those holy days are listed in order. Uh, It talks about the Sabbath here. Uh, Six days shall all work be done, and the seventh is the Sabbath, a solemn rest, a holy convocation, and you shall do no work in it. Uh, It's the Sabbath of the Lord, and it to be proclaimed in their seasons, in their seasons. You have some in the spring, some in the early summer, and then some in the fall. There are actually seven and talks about the um, Passover. It talks about the uh, Days of Unleavened Bread. Now, it doesn't mention Pentecost in Leviticus 23, but it talks about first fruits. It talks about counting uh, 50 days from the, the Sabbath uh, in the Days of Unleavened Bread until Pentecost. Pentecost is a Greek word, and we don't hit the word Pentecost until we get into the New Testament. 
But then in Leviticus 23, it talks about trumpets. It talks about the Day of Atonement. It talks about the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days. And then it talks about an eighth day, which the scriptures reveal is called the Great Day in John chapter 7. So these are the biblical festivals, the biblical holy days. Together they reveal the plan of God, his plan of salvation. You can ask yourself the same questions. You see these these holy days and these festivals are commanded. Well, what do they mean? The Bible reveals what they mean, and they fit into a plan that God is working out. In fact, you can go to the New Testament and find out each one of these holy days are referred to in the New Testament. They were not to be forgotten. They were not to be forgotten. You might ask yourself, when did you come across the context, or when did you come across the the understanding that the biblical holy days are to be kept and that they picture the plan of God? When did that happen for you? For some of you that have grown up in a church, you've heard this all your life. But for many people who did not grow up in the church, who came in contact with the church later, uh, it was a revelation. You know, I grew up in a Protestant church, different Protestant, different Protestant churches, and I kept Christmas, and I kept Easter, and I thought I was doing the right thing, you know, honoring Christ's birthday on December 25th, and honoring his resurrection uh, in Easter. And then I came to realize, when I came in contact with the Church of God, that Christmas was of pagan origin, uh, Easter was of pagan origin. Uh, I never heard about the Holy Days. I heard the Jews kept something. But I never heard about the biblical holy days until I came into contact with the Church of God. I started attending in the fall, and at the Feast of Trumpets uh, that first year, I heard the minister go through very briefly a description of the seven annual festivals. And it literally blew my mind. I'd never heard these things before, and the fact that they fitted into a pattern depicting the plan and purpose that God is working out on this earth. He sent Jesus Christ to become our Savior. He gave his life. Uh, We remember that at the Passover. Uh, Putting leaven out of our homes is symbolic that we need to put sin out of our lives. And we focus on that for seven days during the Days of Unleavened Bread. And then at Pentecost, uh, a number of incredible things happened on the day of Pentecost that we're going to talk about today. And then later in the fall, the Feast of Trumpets pictures the return of Jesus Christ. The Day of Atonement pictures Satan being bound, put away, no longer tempting people in this world. The Feast of Trumpets pictures the coming uh, kingdom of God. Excuse me, the Feast of Tabernacles pictures the coming kingdom of God. And the Last Great Day pictures the White Throne Judgment, a period of time when everyone who's ever lived will be resurrected. This is an incredible plan. But in the sermon today, I want to talk about the Feast of Pentecost. The Feast of Pentecost, as I mentioned in the very beginning, Pentecost is a memorial of great events that occurred in the past that literally illustrate God's incredible power. But the Feast of Pentecost is also a memorial of exciting events coming in the future that are going to impact a very special group of people, a very fortunate group of people that you and I have been called to be part of. I'd like you to notice a couple things. In um, Exodus 23, Exodus 23, Exodus 23, verses 14 through 16, it says, Three times a year. Now, Moses is giving this instruction to the Israelites. 
Three times a year shall you keep a feast to me in the year. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. So this would be Passover and unleavened bread early in the year. And you shall eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded you at the time of the appointed month of Abib. For in, for in it you came out of Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty. Then, a second time of year, at the Feast of Harvest, the first fruits of your labors. So connecting the Feast of Harvest, this is a spring harvest, a smaller harvest earlier in the year, which uh, bring the fruits of your labors, which you have sown in the field. And then the Feast of Ingathering at the end of the year. So around the feast time in the fall, Feast of Tabernacles, uh, you're to make a pilgrimage feast to come to, in this case, in the Old Testament, to Jerusalem. In the New Testament, we come to places where God has placed his name. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord God. So three times a year is mentioned here, and it mentions this feast of the harvest or first fruits uh, in the springtime. Then if we go to... uh, Exodus 34, we see something very similar. Exodus 34, uh, beginning in verse uh, 18. It mentions the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, You keep it for seven days. Then it mentions the Sabbath here in verse 21. And then in verse 22, you shall observe the Feast of Weeks uh, of the First Fruits. So here, the Pentecost period is time called the Feast of Weeks because, as you can read in Leviticus uh, 23, they were to count 50 days or count seven Sabbaths, uh, seven weeks, uh, and that brings you then to when the Feast of Pentecost will be. And then the, the third time of, in the year would be the Feast of Ingathering. This would be around the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, which would probably include trumpets, atonement, and tabernacles all together. Then in verse 23, three times a year, all your men shall appear. It doesn't say you'll be invited to think about coming. It says you shall appear before the Lord your God. It's a commanded assembly. It's a holy convocation, and we are to be there. Um, So these are the commands and instructions we find in the Old Testament having to do with the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Harvest in the Spring, as it's called, or as we'll see in the New Testament, the Feast of Pentecost, this Feast of First Fruits. But what's all this business about First Fruits? Why do we see this repeated emphasis on First Fruits? Why do we see this repeated emphasis on First Fruits? What did it mean to the Israelites? to keep the feast of first fruits. Uh, why is it important to God? Why is first fruits mentioned again and again and again? Um, why is this important to us today? Because we're reading the Old Testament. We're reading things that the Israelites were supposed to do. But Christ kept these days. The apostles kept these days. Why? Why did the early church keep these days? What is in it for you? to keep the Feast of Pentecost, this Feast of First Fruits. What does this hold out for the future for First Fruits? I want to talk about these things today. Um, I want to talk about this concept of First Fruits, what it means to you, what it means to me, what it means to God, and what it's going to mean to the entire world, this Feast of First Fruits. 
The title of the sermon today is The First Fruits, Past, Present, and Future. First Fruits, First Fruits, Past, Present, and Future. Or we could say the uh, future of the first fruits. What is the future of the first fruits? We'll talk about this today in the sermon on Pentecost. If we think for just a little bit about the history of ancient Israel, we can read about it in Exodus. The Israelites, after experiencing the plagues that God brought on Egypt, kind of uh, softening Egypt up, it was the most powerful nation in the world at that time, the Israelites had been in Egypt in slavery for about 400 years. But God was preparing to bring the Israelites out of Egypt, away from the most powerful nation on the face of the earth at that day. They kept the Passover. They were commanded to keep the Passover, to put blood on their doorposts, stay inside until the death angel passed over the uh, nation of Egypt. Those that did not have blood on the doorpost, and again, this was symbolic of uh, the blood of Jesus Christ that would be shed later in God's plan. But all the homes that did not have blood on the doorpost, the firstborn of the family died. The firstborn sons died. The firstborn of the animals died. And this was a shocking experience, a sobering experience. But God was preparing to deliver the Israelites from slavery. So this Passover in the Old Testament context was a memorial of the death angel passing over and the Israelites being thrust out of Egypt. This was something God wanted the Israelites to remember and never forget because they came out as a result of his power, of God intervening in the affairs of mankind, in the affairs of the most powerful nation on the face of the earth at that time. So the result of the Passover and what happened on that Passover, the Israelites were thrust out of Egypt, God delivered them from slavery, and the Passover is a memorial of that particular event. When the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, and they did that during the Days of Unleavened Bread, uh, this is a memorial then, the Days of Unleavened Bread, uh, a memorial of putting sin out of our lives uh, and striving to live according to the laws of God. Then we read in Exodus 19, about verse 1 and 2, that uh, uh, at the beginning of the third month, and about 50 days later, about 50 days later, they arrived at Sinai, the mountain of Sinai. And at Sinai, God gave the Ten Commandments, the laws and the statutes. He revealed them to Moses, and then Moses revealed the law and the statutes, which included the holy days, included the dietary laws, included a lot of other civic laws that God wanted the Israelites to follow so they would, so they would be an example to the rest of the world. Uh, the Jews have a tradition that the law was given on Pentecost um, on this 50th day, and they call the holy day Shavuot, Shavuot, the time when the law was given to ancient Israel. But I'd like you to notice in Exodus 19, the, the, the Israelites made a, a, a covenant with God. The Israelites made a covenant with God at Sinai. But I want you to read and listen and think about the uh, terms of that covenant. 
beginning in verse 5 of uh, Exodus 19. Now, this was before the Ten Commandments were given. God was giving them, uh, a, making a covenant with Israel. In verse 5, he says, Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, in other words, if you do these things, uh, you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. Again, we'll see, not because they were any better. God wanted to use the Israelites. People knew, where they, people knew who they were. All of Egypt knew who they were. They were delivered by God in a very powerful way. Uh, the whole nation of, of Egypt knew something had happened. They're way beyond the power of the Pharaoh. God got their attention. And when they went through the Red Sea and destroyed the armies of Pharaoh, this, this news spread all around. So people knew that the Israelites were something special already, but this was God's covenant he was making. If you keep my voice, or you hear my, obey my voice and keep my covenant, and then keep the laws of God, you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. God did not make a covenant like this with the Chinese, the Japanese, the Africans, uh, with other peoples of the world. He made a covenant with Israel for a very special purpose, for a very special purpose. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a kingdom of priests. Now, remember these things because we're going to touch on this a little bit later. We're going to see what happens when we get to the New Testament. But God is talking through Moses to ancient Israel. You shall be a special treasure to me above all people. You shall be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Uh, and down in verse 8, they say, we'll do it. <laughs> we'll do it. Uh, we'll accept God as our, our, our leader. We'll follow his laws. This was the attitude on the surface of the Israelites. And then they found out later that uh, they were uh, tempted to go here and go there off track, which they did. And as a result, they went into captivity. But God was making a covenant with his first fruits uh, on the day that is called first fruits, the Feast of fruits of First Fruits, and later to be called the Feast of Pentecost. Uh, these were the terms listed in Genesis, or excuse me, listed here in Exodus 19. Now, here in Exodus 19, God is talking with the children of Israel who he brought out of Egypt, the adults and the children with them. But they, basically, the adults turned away from God, got into idolatry. They had to wander for 40 years in the wilderness. And then just before the Israelites came into the promised land, this was the second generation coming into the promised land, Moses reviewed the conditions of the covenant with the second generation who had seen their parents wander in the wilderness and die. So they never came into the promised land. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Here we find described again God's purpose for calling the Israelites a special people, for making a special covenant with the Israelites. In verse 1 of chapter 4 of Deuteronomy, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments. These had been revealed on Sinai, which I teach you to observe. Why? Because they're terrible, you know, they're difficult. No, that you may live, that your life will go better, 
and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given to you. Don't add to the word that I'm giving you. Don't take away from the word that I'm giving you. Just do it. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did to Baal Peor, for the Lord your God has destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal Peor. But you held fast to the Lord your God. You who held fast are alive today, every one of you. Surely I've taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord Moses is speaking here. Surely I've taught you statutes and judgment, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you go in to possess. Therefore be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this is a great nation. Uh, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. This is why God gave his laws to the Israelites. They were slaves in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. They came out, he gave them his laws, and he wanted them to follow them so they would be lights and examples to the world. And people would say, look, how come you're blessed? And you say, look, because we're keeping the laws of God. We're keeping the laws of God. And people would say then, for what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? For whatever reason, we may call on him. And what great nation is there that has such statutes and judgments as all in this law which I've set before you? You know, these laws were designed to set the Israelites apart from the world. You know, we keep the Sabbath and keep the holy days today, and they set us apart from the world. And and you're noticed when you do that. People will notice you're different. And if they see things working out in your life, they see God intervening in your life, they're going to have questions in their own mind. How do, how do you do that? <laughs> Why do you do that? And you can explain to them. But this was the purpose that God had for ancient Israel. Um, but notice the warning here in verse 9. Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And you need to teach them to your children and to your grandchildren. See, God made a covenant with Israel. I'm giving you my laws. I want you to keep them, and I want you to teach these things to your children so they, too, will be blessed and that they, too, will be seen as being different from the world. So that's Deuteronomy 4. This was to the Israelites that were coming into the promised land. They were the second generation coming out of Egypt who had seen their parents die in the wilderness because they turned away from God and set up a golden calf and worshipped it. Now we get to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7 again, talking to the second generation. Verse 1, it says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go into possess and cast out nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Canaanites, Pezites, and so on, and when the Lord your God delivers you over them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them, um, because they basically... Uh, have a very pagan society, they'll come up in a second resurrection. They'll have a chance to learn the truth at that time. But he says you're not to make any covenants with them, uh, nor shall you make marriages with them. You don't want to marry them. Marry into their society, begin doing things that they're doing. He says you're to stay apart. 
You know, Paul mentions in Second Corinthians chapter 6, about verse 17, that Christians are to come out of this world, to come out of this world, be different. Don't follow the world's holidays. Follow God's holy days. Don't go along with the, the trends that we see in our society today. Uh, so we're not, we're not to follow those things. We're to be different. We're to come out of this world. Um, we're not to be part of this society. It says, for if you do that, you get involved with this society, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. That's what happened to Solomon. That's what happened to the Israelites. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. You know, the downfall of our nations today, you can read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 20. Our downfall is going to come suddenly if we turn away from God, if we forget his laws, if we forget and ignore his holy days. There's going to be consequences coming. But notice in verse 6, why did God tell Israel to be different? For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. That's what the Israelites agreed to in front of Sinai. You are a holy people uh, to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you. He didn't choose the Assyrians. He didn't choose the Babylonians. He didn't choose the Egyptians. He chose the Israelites to be a light and example to the world. For the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples in the face of the earth. The Lord did not set, now here's a perspective that he also gave them. The Lord did not set his love on you or choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. You were slaves in Egypt. God isn't calling people today who are the high and the mighty, the the wisest people in the world, the richest people in the world. He's calling a few. He's calling the weak and the lowly because God has a plan. He has a purpose. God doesn't need the brains of the world to save the world. Christ is coming back. He's going to use those that he's called and prepared to change the world. And it's not going to be the brightest people in the world, the smartest people in the world, the richest people in the world. He's going to use people who are humble, who are teachable, and that he can work with. These are people that have been called to become first fruits. We need to think about that and never forget that. God has chosen you to be a people for himself above all peoples. The concept of first fruits is all tied together in the meaning of Pentecost this feast of first fruits. God chose the Israelites to be the first fruits of his plan at that time. But they turned away, they forgot God, they broke the covenant, uh, they changed the holy days. You can read about that in uh, 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 28 to 33. Whenever Jeroboam led ten tribes of Israel off to the north after the death of Solomon, uh, he set up idols so that people wouldn't go back to Jerusalem on the holy days. Uh, He changed the feast from the seventh to the eighth month. So he's changing the feast. Uh, Probably other uh, uh, things that were changed. But they forgot the holy days. They forgot the plan and purpose. And as a result, they went into captivity. Now, it's interesting. The Israelites lost their identity when they stopped keeping the Sabbath. 
especially the northern ten tribes. When they lost, when they stopped keeping the Sabbath, stopped keeping the holy days, they lost their identity. You know, the Jews went into captivity in Babylon because they had broken the Sabbath. They'd broken God's Sabbaths, the holy days. They'd gotten away from God that way. Uh, but they, they learned a lesson. You know, Ezekiel talked to them. Ezekiel chapter 20, he mentioned that uh, one of the reasons that you are there in captivity, Ezekiel was among the Babylon, the captives in Babylon, and he's talking to the Israelites, so it's a much bigger picture. He said, you're here because you've broken God's Sabbaths. You've turned away from God and broken his Sabbaths. You've broken the covenant. When the Jews came back 70 years later to Jerusalem, they continued to remember the Sabbath and the Holy Days. And the Sabbath and the Holy Days have set the Jews apart, and they remembered that they were called to be chosen people. But the Jews basically turned inward. They turned inward. You know, the college I went to, we had a student body of about uh, 800 men. Uh, We had two Jewish fraternities, which were uh, quite popular among the Jews. And they probably had about 100 students, so about one-eighth of the student body were, were Jewish Fellows, you know, their dads were doctors and lawyers, but they kind of kept to themselves because they, they were the chosen people. And uh, those of us who were not Jews were goyim. We were the, the unwashed. Uh, uh, we were different. Uh, I didn't understand at that time who the Israelites were. You know, Jacob had uh, 12 sons, and only one of those sons was Judah. Uh, the Jews have not forgotten who they are. But the other 11 sons have sort of forgotten who they are. Uh, the, the Israelites were called to be first fruits, but they let go of that opportunity. But this is not the end of the story of first fruits. There's a lot more to that story. There's a lot more to that story. And we pick that up in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament. And there we find the apostles were instructed to be together on Pentecost, on this Feast of Weeks, uh, on this Feast of First Fruits. Now, the apostles were Jews, and they were there because it was a commanded assembly. It was a memorial of the giving of the law at Sinai. So that's why they were there. But something incredible happened that day. To those that were all together, the disciples of Jesus Christ, there was a blowing of the wind, there were little uh, sparks of fire on their head, flames of fire, uh, and they spoke in different languages. They spoke in different languages as a result of God pouring out his spirit. In the Old Testament, he gave the law on the day of Pentecost. In the New Testament, he poured out his spirit, and the disciples spoke in different languages, uh, it was a very stunning uh, scene because people saw it. They watched it. Not everybody started speaking in tongues. It was the disciples of Jesus Christ that spoke in tongues. God was uh, setting them apart and showing that they were different uh, once they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. So on Pentecost in the New Testament... God poured out his spirit. There was a miracle, a miraculous occurrence, and it was also the start of the New Testament church. So Pentecost is a memorial of the giving of the law of God in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it was the beginning of the New Testament church through the power of God's Holy Spirit. 
It's interesting to note, you know, Peter spoke to the people that were gathered there. They wanted to know what's going on, what's going on. And Peter started talking to them. He gave them a sermon. He talked about this was part of God's plan. And uh, when he was done, they said, look, what, what do we do? What do we do? How can we be part of this? And Peter's answer was in Acts 2, 37 and 38, repent. Repent. Change your life. You know, begin focusing in a different direction. Repent. Be baptized. Make a commitment to living God's way of life. Make a commitment to keeping the holy days and the Sabbath. Making a commitment to follow the commandments of God, to change your life in that sense. So repent, be baptized, and it says you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, a couple of other scriptures in the book of Acts we need to be aware of. In Acts 5.32, Acts 5.32, it mentions that God gives his spirit to those who obey him. You know, so one of the reasons that we repent is to begin to obey the laws of God. When I learned about the Sabbath and the holy days, I started to keep them. I started to keep them. I didn't understand fully about the plan of God, but I understood Leviticus 23. It says, uh, keep them, they're commanded assemblies. <laughs> and having gone to a college where we had a, uh, a convocation, a commanded assembly every Wednesday morning, I understood what commanded assembly or what convocation meant. Uh, I saw that Christ kept these things, the, the uh, apostles kept these days, and I, I realized that's something I need to do. And I thought I was obeying God when I kept Christmas and Easter, but I came to understand that was wrong. I came to understand what we should be doing, and I started to do that, as many of you did the same thing. When you learned about the Sabbath and when you learned about the holy days, you started to keep them. So Acts 5.32 says God gives his spirit to those who obey him. Uh, basically, to obey God, you follow his instructions. You follow his instructions, you follow his laws, you keep the Sabbath and you keep the holy day and you do the other things. Now notice also, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit was only poured out on the apostles. It was not poured out on everybody else. In John chapter 6 and verse 44, now this fills in more of the picture that God has a plan, he has a purpose. Uh, Pentecost was to be kept... Uh, during the um, the spring harvest, or the beginning of the spring harvest, which is a small harvest. And the major harvest, uh, the Feast of Ingathering that the Old Testament talks about, the Feast of uh, Tabernacles comes at the end of the year. So early in the year, keeping the Passover, Days of Unleavened Bread, and then on Pentecost, um, we read here in John 6.44, that God is not calling the whole world right now. John 6 and verse 44. It says that um, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him, calls him, uh, invites him or her, and I will raise him up in the last day. In verse 65, uh, Jesus in the medium, in the intervening verses, is, in the intervening verses, Jesus talks about you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. You've got to internalize my teachings. You've got to internalize my teachings and make them part of you so that you're following these from your heart. But in verse 65, Jesus said, Therefore, or this is why I said unto you earlier, 
Therefore I said unto you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to that person by my Father. God is calling a few people, and we need to realize this. And God's not calling everyone today. Why are you here? Why are your parents here? You're here because God is calling you. A calling is a capacity to begin to understand the plan of God, the purpose of life, the reason for being. And we never want to take that for granted. We never want to take that for granted. God is only calling a few at this point in time. Uh, To emphasize that a little bit more, go to John 14. We read this during the Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread. But again, it, it fleshes out what we're talking about the plan and the purpose of God. <clears throat> God gave his spirit to the apostles on the day of or the disciples on the day of Pentecost. In John 14:15, and this kind of flies in the face of what many people believe today. Many people today believe, well, if I, I, if I know about Jesus and if I love Jesus and if I pray to Jesus, then I'm going to be in heaven. And yet notice what um, Jesus actually said. He said, if you love me, he's talking to his disciples, but we can all read this, whether we're disciples or not. If you love me, keep my commandments. Keep my commandments if you love me. Now, I thought I was keeping God's commandments. I tried not to lie and steal and so on, but I, I didn't realize we should have been keeping the Sabbath. I heard that was Jewish. But in Exodus 20, Uh, we are to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. We're to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Uh, He said, if you love me, uh, keep my commandments. And as a result, verse 16, I will ask, pray, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, uh, a parakletos, a helper. And he, actually the word means it, uh, or should be it, that it may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth. It was God's spirit. is a spirit of truth. Uh, the Bible is truth. We should be believing the truth, believing the Bible. We should be preaching the truth. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. The world doesn't receive God's spirit if it doesn't follow the laws of God. If they're not called to understand the plan and purpose of God, the world is not going to understand The spirit of truth that the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, that is, sees or knows God. But you know him, for he dwells in you, and you will be in him. So the world cannot receive God's spirit. They're not going to understand the plan and purpose of God. They're not going to see the plan and purpose of God. They're not going to understand Bible prophecy. In John 15, um, Verse 14, now Jesus is talking with his disciples. You are my friends. You are my friends. If you do whatever whatever I command you to do, if you do whatever I command you to do, we want to think that Jesus is our friend, but then we want to do our own thing. If we want to be God's friend, we need to do what he commands us to do. I no longer call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all the things that you have heard from my Father I've made known to you. God's plan and purpose is being made known to his friends at this time. 
those who are called, those who are keeping his commandments. We understand. We have a perspective the world does not have. And we never want to take that for granted. Notice in verse 16, Jesus told his disciples, You did not choose me. I chose you. You didn't choose me. I chose you. You know, when I went to college, um, I had a goal in mind. I wanted to become a doctor and uh, later a teacher. Uh, but that was my goal. When I came in contact with the church, it was like I saw a bigger picture. I saw a bigger picture, and I changed my perspective. I wanted to be a teacher, not just somebody that fixed somebody's body, but somebody that worked with their mind, somebody that worked with their beliefs, somebody that that worked with their focus and their future. It changed my perspective totally. It changed my perspective totally. But I began to realize it, and more so later, more so in recent years, Jesus said, you did not call me, I called you. I've chosen you. Let's finish the verse. That you should go forth and bear fruit. You know, the first fruits have a big fruit to bear, a lot of fruit to bear. But there's going to be some big rewards if we bear fruit with our calling. And your fruit should remain that whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, I will give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. And if the world hates you, that's the way it's going to be, because they're not on the same wavelength. They're not on the same wavelength. Let's go to Matthew uh, 13. Matthew 13, because this theme runs through the New Testament, explaining what uh, privilege the first fruits are having today, why they've been called and what God is looking for from these people who are first fruits. In Matthew 13, beginning verse 10, the disciples came to Jesus Christ and they asked him, why do you speak in parables? You tell all these little stories. Why don't you just hit them with the truth? (laughs) Smack between the eyes. Uh, Jesus answered and said to them, the reason I speak in parables, because it has been given to you, my disciples, the individuals that I'm calling, because it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. That God is actually going to set up a kingdom on this earth. That Christ is going to return. We're not all going to heaven uh, to walk on clouds and walk on streets of gold and play harps. Christ is coming back. We are going to be resurrected, go briefly to heaven, and then come back and then reign with Christ on this earth. This is the mystery of the kingdom of heaven. The world doesn't understand this. You know, the world today is in a mess, and people are looking for political leaders who will solve their problems. You know, we elected a new president here in the United States, supposedly to solve our problems, and people are already <laughs> concerned. The Germans are going to have an election uh, in the fall of 2021. Gonna, they're going to be looking for someone, too, to lead them and solve their problems. Uh, it's not going to happen with physical leaders. It's not going to happen. But Jesus says here, because it's been given to you to understand the mysteries or to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, to them, to the world, it's not been given. They've not been called. Verse 16, blessed are your eyes. The word in the Greek means to be envied. To be envied are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. So don't close your ears. Don't close your mind. And don't run off after the world because you're going to be running off after a false uh, vision of the future. 
You're going to miss out on an incredible future. Then he talks about the parable of the sower. Uh, and you can pick that parable up um, in um, the next couple of verses. Verse 19 it says, He who hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't understand it, uh, the Satan will come along and just snatch away that what they, what they heard. They won't remember it. They won't be interested. But then he talks about some other people talks about a person that, that receives the seed on stony ground who hears and is excited. Wow, that's incredible. That's, that's great. You know, just before I came back from England um, to the States in 2005, we'd just gone on television over there, and I, I got a phone call from a fellow. He was actually, I think, a master's degree in theology. And he said, you know, I came across your program. This is incredible. This is incredible. Uh, can we talk? I said, well, look, I'm leaving for the States in a couple of days. Uh, I could probably meet with you this weekend. He said, uh, I, said I'll, I said, call me back and we'll set up an appointment. He did call back, or I called him, I forget which, uh, a night or two later. And he said, well, I was on the Internet and I saw some other things. And are you related in any way to this other group? And I said, no, we're not. He said, well, let's just postpone uh, uh, our, our meeting. So he was excited when he first heard, and he stumbled on some stones that he found on the Internet. And he decided, let's let's just not do it right now. This is happening to people today. It also mentions here then in verse 22, and now some received the seed among thorns. Is he who hears the word and the cares of this world, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. The cares of the world. Well, I, you know, I can't, can't begin keeping the Sabbath because I'll lose my job. Or, you know, I just, I can't begin tithing because uh, I've got these bills to pay. Or, uh, you know, uh, members of my family are going to look down on me, they're going to make fun of me. I, I, I can't do it right now. Jesus was talking about situations that would come up. And Satan doesn't want you. If you, especially if you understand the plan and purpose of God, he doesn't want you to be in the kingdom of God. He doesn't want you there. You know, he tempted Christ. He tempted Peter. He'll tempt you and me. But don't give in to those things. Recognize what's happening. If you want to be in the kingdom of God, you've been called as a first fruit to be there, to reign with Jesus Christ. Don't throw that away. That's what we're to remember on this day of Pentecost. It's a memorial of what has happened in the past. But it's also a memorial of what's coming. It's to remind us of what's coming. There is a future, an incredible future, for the first fruits that God is calling now. He's not calling everyone. He's calling a few. Notice also what Paul says about first fruits in the New Testament. Let's go to Romans chapter 8 and verse 22. See, so the New Testament explains a lot more about these first fruits why it's important, why we need to understand these things when we observe the day of Pentecost. It talks about first fruits. Romans chapter 8, verses 22 to 23. It mentions here, For we know that the whole world groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. And we're watching those birth pangs today. Things are getting worse and worse and worse. Our... our, Uh, expenditures, our national debt is climbing to trillions of dollars. 
uh, things don't work that well in society. You know, even our postal system in the United States seems to be breaking down. Uh, when I was in England, I think I read in the papers over there that the, uh, the Royal Mail, which sounds very important, loses something like a million or a billion pieces of mail a year. Uh, things just don't work as well as they used to. Uh, the world is groaning today. But it mentions here, we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, those that have been called to be first fruits, that receive God's Spirit, <clears throat> even ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly awaiting the adoption and the redemption of our body. We're waiting for the return of Jesus Christ and a resurrection to become spirit beings, to reign with Jesus Christ. That's a hope that you have as a first fruit. That's an exciting hope. You never lose sight of that. But here Paul is tying first fruits into those that are going to raise with Christ. Those will arise at the second coming of Jesus Christ to reign with him. Those are the first fruits. That's the future. Romans 16 and verse 5, he uses the term again, first fruits. Romans 16 and verse 5. Now, he's writing to the, the church in Rome or to the members in Rome. Um, and he says, greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so. But in verse 5, he says, likewise, greet the church that is in their house. That is the house of, uh, of um, Priscilla and Aquila. Greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas. Eponidas. Now, Eponidas was a Christian in Rome, but it says, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ? He was one of the first converts there, apparently. Uh, but he's referred to as the first fruits of Paul's ministry there, or the ministry that was conducted there. So Paul again equates uh, first fruits with people that are being called now to become part of the church. Let's go to First um, Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15. Some more insights about first fruits. More insights about first fruits. First Corinthians 15, verses 20, 21, 22, 23. It says, but now Christ is risen from the dead, verse 20, and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Christ is the first of the first fruits that took him out of the grave to become a spirit being. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection from the dead, that is, by Jesus Christ. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. That's our hope for the future, especially for the first fruits but each one in his own order. There's going to be a resurrection at the beginning of the millennium. There's going to be another great resurrection at the end of the millennium in God's time, according to God's plan. Um, 23, uh, Christ the first fruits, and afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Those are also going to be first fruits. They're going to be resurrected when Jesus Christ returns. Uh, Let's go to James chapter 1, verse 18. Again, talking about first fruits. James chapter 1 and verse 18. Now, James is writing here. Notice in verse 17, For every good gift 
and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation and no turning. You know, some people, when they come into the church, say if they're single, and it's kind of like, well, there's nobody here to marry, so I'll just marry whoever I can find. You know, we're overlooking gifts that God can give us. We're overlooking gifts that God could give us. If you make God your partner, God, I'm going to try to become the best possible uh, mate that I can be. I want to do things your way. Uh, Would you help me? Would you help me? Guide me, lead me, show me. Leave that in God's hands. And don't run off uh, in another different direction because, well, there's nobody here. There's nobody here. That's a Satan. That's a ploy from Satan. But in verse 18, it says, Of his own will, that is God's will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. You know, we came into the church of God because God brought us to the church. It was a magazine, a television broadcast, a a DVD, something that you heard from someone that pointed you in this direction, to the word of truth. And you came to understand that. And you began looking for a place where you could fellowship with people of like minds. God uses his truth and uses his spirit to reach out to people, to connect with people, to draw them in to become members of his family, potential members of his family. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The church is God's first fruits. You might look this up in some other translations. One translation said, the first children of his new family. Translates this, this phrase, first fruits, as the first children of his new family. We've been called to become part of God's family. When we're resurrected in the first resurrection, we're going to be the first to become part of his family who've been previously physical human beings. Another translation was the first fruits to God and the the Lamb of God uh, can be translated uh, the elect according to God's plan. And wait a minute. The first specimens of his new creation. The first specimens of his new creation. This is what James was talking about in James 1.18. To become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The first specimens of his New creation. Notice in First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. These are exciting verses. First Peter chapter one, verses one and two. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, and so on, the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, God's Spirit that sets you apart. Uh, for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, a pilgrim is a person that comes first. A pilgrim is a person who is, is an alien in this society, a, a stranger in this society, not a part of this world. We've been called to come out of this world. We've been called to come out of this world, um, to become part of God's family. Um, we're called here the elect, the first fruits, the elect of God. Notice also then in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 in verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2 in verse 9. And this should be very familiar to us, having read the terms of the covenant that the Israelites entered into uh, coming out of Egypt. 
in Exodus um, 19, verses 5 and 8. We just read that a little bit ago. Also in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 and 7, notice how this is phrased about the first fruits, the elect in the coming kingdom in the, uh, the New Testament. Talking about the church, these strangers, these pilgrims he was writing to, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, his own special people. He's not talking to the Greeks. He's not talking to Romans in their civilizations. He's not talking to Egyptians. He's talking to people that were called into the New Testament church, spiritual Israelites. You are a chosen generation, royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness. And we've been called out of darkness. Again, it's only a few that are being called right now into his marvelous light to an understanding of the plan of God, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who have not yet obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners, as pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust. Don't go back into the world. Don't go back into the world. You've been called to be a first fruit. Be different. Come out of this world. Another interesting scripture that people get excited about, and it's worth getting excited about, Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. You notice, I hope you've noticed anyways, as we go through the sermon, these are not my ideas. These are not my opinions. We've been reading the scriptures. We've been letting the scriptures speak to us about what first fruits are all about. Revelation 14. John mentions here, I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty-four thousand, having the Father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like a voice from many waters, like a voice of loud thunders, and I heard the sound of harpers playing, and they sang, as it were, a new song before the throne. So here are 144,000 singing a new song that nobody else could learn, having a name, a new name on their foreheads. Verse 4, these are the ones who were not defiled by women. Talking here more spiritually, there's probably a physical analogy too. But they weren't involved with pagan religions, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Wherever He goes. And they will go where God is going to send them, to this nation, to that nation, and so on, as ambassadors. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. The 144,000 are going to be very special first fruits that are called by God, become part of his family to reign with Jesus Christ in the coming kingdom of God. We've been called to understand the plan of God. Let's go to 1 Corinthians, and we're just about done. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Again, this theme that not everybody's being called now. Paul was telling this to the Corinthians, verse 26 through 28. Now, the Corinthians were kind of with it people. They were on a major trade route to Rome. Uh, Money was to be made there. A lot of ideas floating around, a lot of pagan ideas floating around, too. But these were the people that God or that uh, Paul said, you've got to come out of the world. You've got to come out of that society. And the reasons to come out is because you've been called to be first fruits. 
Verse 26 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, not many rich are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. You believe in the Bible? you got to be stupid. No, if you believe in the Bible that God has opened your mind to understand, you're way ahead of the pack. You're way ahead of the pack. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame that are mighty, that no flesh should glory. Now, what does God expect of these people? What do they understand? Chapter 2 and verse 7, Paul says to the Corinthians, We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. We talk about the plan and purpose of God that the world doesn't understand. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. God had a plan from the very beginning. He's continued to work out that plan. It's pictured in the holy days. And Pentecost pictures the first fruits, this special group of people that God has been working with down through history, and especially today as we approach the end of the age. These are people that are going to come up in the first resurrection. We're going to reign with Jesus Christ as Spirit beings with eternal life who will live forever as part of God's family. The hidden wisdom which God ordained from the beginning of the world. Um, But then he he quotes here um, out of Isaiah. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard. Uh, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. You know, the ancient Greeks speculated on what the purpose of life was. Philosophers in the Middle Ages speculated on what the purpose of life was. They don't understand because their mind has not been opened to understand the plan and purpose of God. Verse 10, but God has revealed these things to us through his spirit. The spirit of truth that leads us to all truth that John wrote about. And John, uh, Paul is writing about it here. The Spirit searches all things, just the deep things of God. In verse 14, it says, The natural man, a person without God's Spirit, does not receive the things of the Spirit. They're foolishness to him. You try and explain what you're doing today to people that are not on the same wavelength. They're not going to understand. Uh, verse 16 for he who has known the, who has known the mind of God that he might instruct him, he says. But we have the mind of Christ. That's because we have repented, we've received God's Spirit, and that Spirit will lead us and guide us into all truth. Brethren, as we approach the close of the service today on Pentecost, we need to remember that Pentecost pictures a memorial. It's a memorial of great things that God has done down through time. The law was given on on Sinai, on the day of Pentecost, the day of the first fruits. In the New Testament, God poured out his spirit and began the New Testament on the day of Pentecost. He poured out his spirit. That spirit enables us to understand the plan of God. Uh, We've been called as first fruits to reign with Jesus Christ on this earth. That's why we've been called to grow. You know, Peter mentions this in, in uh, 2 Peter uh, chapter 3 and verse 18. He says, grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he talks about adding to your faith wisdom and knowledge and patience to grow so that we can be ready to be changed into spirit beings. This is the purpose of the first fruits. 
God has an incredible plan and purpose he's working out on earth. He wants you and I to be part of that plan, part of that purpose, so that we can work with Jesus Christ to literally change the world. Your brethren, the day of Pentecost is a very exciting day. It's a very symbolic day. It's a very meaningful day that you and I have been called out of this world to become first fruits, to be in the coming kingdom of God. So, brethren, as we rejoice, keeping this day of Pentecost, this day of first fruits, let's rejoice, let's thank God for the privilege of being called today. We're not any better than anybody else, but we've been called to be part of God's plan and purpose to fulfill an incredible mission. So, brethren, have a wonderful, exciting, uh, rewarding feast of Pentecost.